welcome to episode 1878 of Effectively Wild, the Fangraphs baseball podcast brought to you by our Patreon supporters. I'm Meg Rowley of Fangraphs, and I am joined as always by Ben Lindbergh of The Ringer. Ben, how are you? I'm swell. That's great. We have other guests. <laughs> well, you're not a guest, you're a co-host, but we have some guests. Yeah. Our anniversary fun continues with, uh, you know, some uh, longtime pals and uh, one former co-host. Indeed. Yeah. Sadly, Sam Miller was unavailable for our old home week here. But fortunately, we've got a couple other pals. We've got one Jeff Sullivan. Hello, Jeff. Hello. And one Grant Brisby. Hello, Grant. Hello. How is everybody? <laughs> We're doing well. What was that? <laughs> I don't know. Is that how you are? <laughs> how is everybody? <laughs> so this is the second of our anniversary-themed episodes, and fortunately, Grant and Jeff have nothing going on. You can get Grant and Jeff on your podcast, no problem. <laughs> no, that's not true. <laughs> They're both busy, too. Grant covers the Giants for The Athletic. Jeff is a baseball development analyst for The Rays, so presumably he has a lot of baseball analysis and or development to do, which he is taking a break from to talk to us now because he is a former co-host of Effectively Wild. And Grant is now our most frequent guest in Effectively Wild history with this very appearance because there was a three-way tie, we learned, between Grant, Eric Loggenhagen, and Russell Carlton. And with this appearance, Grant's 19th lifetime appearance on Effectively Wild, he now takes the lead. Grant, how does it feel? Uh, I have. It's always been my dream to crush Eric and Russell, and uh-huh. now I've realized that dream, and, uh, you know, in their face, basically. <laughs> <laughs> well, here's the problem. Eric is going to be on the next episode. <laughs> so your reign as most frequent effective guests will last for about a day. <laughs> but what about most it. downloads by guest? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I'm sure if the Grant episodes get big numbers. It, oh, you've yeah. always been kind of Shoot in spirit, the, the fifth Beatle of Effectively Wild, the Billy Preston of the podcast, where we've thought, oh, he'd be a great full-time band member. And then Paul McCartney said, yeah, maybe not. So that hasn't quite happened, but it would be great. We always love when Grant is here. And you guys are always bickering and just being really rude to each other. And then I show up <laughs> and everyone starts to get along and everyone's exactly. a lot more creative. Yeah, yeah that's Billy Preston. Right. Yeah, great on the keys too. Just really superlative. <laughs> Jeff, uh, how is your health? Because most of the people I know who are employed by the Tampa Bay Rays seem to be on the injured list these days. <laughs> Not to bring up a literally sore subject. Sore subject. I'm fine, and the, I owe that mostly to not doing anything. Uh, I would. I did have a, a, a thought that I, if I was more involved in a. And the the on fit you you had sent me a message some time ago being like our a reader asked if the Rays making so many outs on the bases was some form of competitive advantage and I realized right. that if I had a little <laughs> if I was around a little more I might try to compel Randy Rosarena's players weekend nickname to be Vroom Vroom guy because <laughs> I think that that would be the most appropriate manifestation of the podcast he's already living it we might as well call him that. I would yeah. buy that jersey. players being injured seems like not a competitive advantage either some might say it's even a competitive disadvantage what do you think like when your team is the team that is having injury issues in a given season because it's always some team right and sometimes it's multiple teams but when it is your team 
I'm sure it's quite frustrating, but is there ever a point where you're like, something is happening here that we have to look into to try to prevent? Or do you just curse the heavens and think this is not our year health-wise? What do I think when the whole team is hurt? I think <laughs> bad things. I think that it's miserable to live through. But, yeah. I mean, we're, what, we're a team that cycles through pitchers. We have every pitcher throw as hard as they can and throw 80% breaking balls and you know, we it, whenever you you select people based on talent and affordability, and a, a lot of times the players who are more affordable are the players who are not the most durable. So, I mean, there's every reason in the world to think that we would end up selecting for people who get hurt. But also, I don't know, Harold Ramirez just broke his thumb because Jordan Lyles hit him with a 91 mile per hour fastball in the thumb. Can't right. do much about that. You can do a little more about pitchers who. Uh, well, I guess you can't do anything a little more about pitchers who get hurt, but uh, you can expect. I mean, the, you know, the Dodgers are beat up, right? So sure, at least yeah. we're not yeah. the uh, the only one. Also, it helps you feel a little smug to be like, yeah, top wildcard team, and everybody starts. That's kind of it's not it's not fun. It's not fun to be absolutely clear. It's not fun, but at well, least it does. At the minimum, it provides an excuse. Glad we could clarify that. <laughs> Here's the thing. When I'm covering a Giants team that's hurt and there's guys all over the injured list, uh, I think, wow, this is weird or this is a story angle. This is something different. This is something unfortunate. When it's happening to Jeff, it's possible that he caused it. Like, <laughs> There's no way that I would cause the Giants injury problem, but Jeff might be responsible, wholly responsible for everything that's going on except for the, the hit by pitch. I cannot recommend highly enough not being a senior executive. Because at the end of the day, I was talking to my wife about this yesterday. Nothing relaxed. I don't, I don't know why I get paid. I just sit here and I tell stuff to some people and then they do whatever the hell they want. And then the day's over and I have dinner. But nothing matters if I'm not around. We can still do stuff. <laughs> at least when it's the Giants getting hurt, you can think, well, everyone is 37. So why wouldn't they be hurt? Yeah. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> there it's a trend. Whereas otherwise you might think, well, this is a fluke and we are unlucky. Or some teams, if it persists across multiple seasons, then it's like, do we need to then revamp our training routines? Yeah. Or are we the Mets? Or do we need to get a new training staff or something like that? You start to think it might not just be fluke and coincidence and unfortunate. But it might actually mean something. So I don't know if one season or two seasons is enough for it to mean something. But Meg has a has a heart out here in a, in a bit. So I'm not, and I'm also not going to tell this story now. But when when Meg leaves and we're done recording, then I'll tell you a little story that I probably should have I have one other semi serious baseball question for you, which is that it's been I think three and a half years or so now since you callously abandoned both FanGraphs and Effectively Wild. So. Is that enough time for you to have seen essentially the meta of MLB change, like the current competitive strategy, like the things that the Rays were talking about? Let's say you don't have to give away what these things were, although you're welcome to if you want to, but the things that a team might be thinking, okay, here's what we should do now. Here's something that other teams aren't doing that we could do. This could be an advantage for us. Like in three and a half years, has that turned over several times already to the point where the things that you were thinking about in that vein back in early 2019 seem archaic now? Or is it not that fast? Some of it, of course. Uh, and, you know, part of that comes from, well, whatever whatever weird little competitive advantages the Rays had, well, not only does like Andrew Friedman run the Dodgers, but in just the time that I've been with the Rays, Bloom went to run the Red Sox and James Click went to run the Astros. And 
we just lost Ani Colombi, a tremendous analyst, to go be yeah. an executive with the Phillies. Do people like, not like working with you? Is that the issue? <laughs> Aww. <laughs> uh, I am so far away that I don't think anyone thinks that they do work with me. I just <laughs> exist on the internet, and, uh, and that's fine. And then I show up in the office, and then, uh, like, next week I'll go to the office, right? And then I'll just kind of float around the first day in there looking for a desk because I don't have a desk. I just kind of, like, spend the first day being like, where can I settle? Uh, and then people are like, oh, hey, it's Jeff. And then after about 20 minutes, nobody cares anymore. It's great. Mm -hmm. But like, I was, I was just looking at something this morning. I'm not going to say what it is, but like the Phillies are now doing something this year that they didn't do last year. And mm. it's something that Ani was very closely involved in and like was kind of the idea man for. So not a mm. surprise to see that go somewhere else. This is not a surprise to see ideas spread through the industry. You're not going to get, you're not going to find what it is. You're not, there's no public. <laughs> you're not going to find it. Uh, the Orioles are doing something this year that uh, they didn't do before. That is in the public. I'm still not going to say, but it's something that we've, we've done a lot. Is that uh, catchers setting up in the same place? Yeah, on every like, it's, it's straightforward, right? But like yeah. they're doing it yeah. now, yeah. which they didn't do before. Before. They're throwing yeah. more strikes. What a surprise. Uh, <laughs> So there's uh, a good amount of that. Last last winter, I got really a few of us were really excited, being like, "Oh, I think we figured out a way to like add more break to these pitchers' breaking balls. Well, they got to keep that one under wraps." And then you read a whole entire article by Lindsay Adler, being like, "Yeah, the Yankees had this two years ago, and now they're teaching it to everybody." You know, like, <laughs> we just notice that every single pitcher on the Yankees has this pitch because right. it's not mm -hmm. a mystery. Just do what Corey Kluber does, right? Like if this isn't. Pitchers copying pitches is not what the point. The answer is yes. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, this is uh, injuries bad, throwing strikes good. Just a taste of the type of analysis that the Rays are getting in baseball development from Jeff Sullivan that we are being deprived of these days. Hold on, hold on. I'm writing that down. I'm writing that down. <laughs> <laughs> now everyone can uh, spend a while trying to figure out what the Phillies are doing. <laughs> so we do have an actual topic or purpose here today, sort of. And in keeping with the anniversary theme, we thought we would do a little low stakes draft as we often have done with Jeff and Grant, where there's no competitive aspect to it really. And we're just here to have fun, which is that we thought that we would draft our favorite baseball stories to talk about or write about or cover or just interact with in some ways over the past decade, just since this podcast began basically. And it doesn't have to be something that we personally covered, although I guess in many cases it would be if we were fascinated by it. Could be silly stuff, could be serious stuff, could be surprising stuff. We'll find out what we each pick. So Meg, do you want to go first? Because no, you do have a hard out. I don't want to go <laughs> you, first. I you don't want to go first. <laughs> I don't want to go first. I will share this with our listeners as I shared with you guys before we started. I've done no prep for this draft because <laughs> I have been working like a crazy person that just you guys haven't been. And I was listening to Rob Manfred and Tony Clark talk. And then I scooted back to the hotel. I am told that I'm going to be delivered a cookie soon. So that's very exciting. But no, I don't. I, I don't know. I'm drafting baseball. Draft done. Somebody so else you are, you're not drafting Rob Manfred becoming commissioner of baseball? That's not on your list? I just think that, like, um, <laughs> you know, I would be less aggrieved if it were me. If I were the commissioner, I'd be like a, a you know, I'd be like, a, what if we tried being a happy guy? What if we tried to do the happy guy commissioner dance? You know, like, you just give it a shot. Try something new. Anyway, someone else draft. 
Yeah, that'll be for our what do we want in the next 10 years of baseball <laughs> draft. So I don't know. One of our guests, you want to go? Jeff, I don't know whether you've uh, thought about baseball in this way for years or remember anything that you used to write about before you okay. were an analyst I'm, in baseball development. I have two ideas to go number one. I feel like someone's going to steal this one. Okay, so first I wanted to, I'm going to draft Mike Trout. Okay. Uh, I think Mike Trout is great, and he's been a lot of fun for 10 years. And mm-hmm. I, I don't think that I wrote about anything more often. I don't think that there's been anything more fun to think about. I don't think there's been anyone more consistent. Even when he changes, he's the same. I think even this year, you know, he's been hurt a lot, which is very discouraging. Although it would have been maybe more discouraging when I was on the outside trying to write about him. I care yeah. about it less now because, you know, competitive juices. <laughs> but uh, he's great. And every single year, you know, what's the old rule of thumb? Stats don't count until Mike Trout has the highest war in, uh, in yep. baseball. Holds true. Mm-hmm. Still extremely accurate. Mike Trout, number one. He's great. Yep. I guess that's not a shocker, Mike Trout being number one on the things we like about baseball. Draft on Effectively Wild, probably the most discussed player in our history. Obviously, the most frequent subject of weird hypotheticals. And certainly, I've written a ton about him, and all of us have probably covered him a lot in some ways. And yes, the changing nature of Mike Trout and the way that he is always good, but he gets there in different ways. And that's always been fun to write about. I don't know how many Fangrass blogs you did about Mike Trout and high fastballs, <laughs> but mm-hmm. probably a lot if we could Google that. <laughs> so, yeah, that has been a, a constant source of enjoyment. And would have been on my board as well. I will say that one of the the changes in perspective that I have going back to writing about the Giants full time is how little I think about Mike Trout. And it's it's not like I'm not trying to be snarky or anything. It's just it's almost like a baseball truism that I'm so focused on my team. It's almost like the perspective of being a normal baseball fan where it's hard to think about Mike Trout. It's not like LeBron James. It's such a different sport. It's such a regional sport. I just I I feel like I'm listening to Jeff talk. It's like, oh, holy heck, I need to go back and watch more Mike Trout. He's right. That dude's good. But it's the same for for us. We don't. We play the Angels a few times a year, and you think like, well, we're going to give up a few home runs to Mike Trout, but like, we're not going to trade for Mike Trout. We're not probably going to see Mike Trout in the playoffs. I we don't talk about. I've had maybe like four conversations about Mike Trout since I got hired, and he's been amazing. But you know, I just my relationship is with him is very similar to yours, Grant. Grant, I have bad news, which is that he he's hurt right now. Mm-hmm. Right now, that's what yeah. I'm telling you. You're right now. Right now, mm-hmm. yeah. He's, his ribs are inflamed or maybe stuff around his ribs. Something's wrong with his <laughs> ribs. They're not They're not great. That does not bode well for the Angels. Uh, let me, what are they oh, doing Grant, I got some news for you about the Angels. Holy huh. shnikes. Yeah, it's not. It's, oh, oh. We're breaking news left and right here. Yeah. The Rays probably not <laughs> trading for Mike Trout. We're going to get aggregated. This is going to be headlines on MLB Trade Rumors. Jeff is going to get in trouble. Oh, boy. I don't like to break. Like, can I just, I'm going to make this one a definite. We're not trading for Mike Trout. <laughs> you can you can put that on the board. The Tampa Bay Rays are not trading for Mike Trout. This year, I, okay, this year, this year, the Tampa Bay Rays are not trading for Mike Trout. Okay. Wow, what a scoop. You'll have it here first. Oh, extra, extra. <laughs> Source, literally, an analyst for the Tampa Bay Rays. Okay. Grant, this is going to be tough for you because the team that you cover hasn't really done anything noteworthy in the last decade that I can recall. So, <laughs> I don't know. you have anything? I, well, you know what? I'm going to throw a little curveball, uh, mm. baseball term at you, and I'm going to draft 
baseball history, writing about baseball history. It's taken me a decade plus to realize that that is what I like doing. I like about <laughs> writing about what's happened. I like going on newspapers.com and digging through old uh, microfiche adjacent articles uh, from the 60s and the 50s. And I love reading about the things I would have been writing if they happened today, but I get to rediscover them. Because, frankly, they make too much baseball these days. It's too hard to keep up with it. And it's almost like music where they keep making music and I keep falling behind. And there's there's like David Bowie albums that I don't know. Like I have to go back. I, I love David Bowie, but I'm not intimate, intimately familiar with Lodger. So they're making new albums that aren't David Bowie. But there's David Bowie albums that I don't know. And that's how it is with baseball. So I like writing about things that happened. They should stop making baseball so we could go back and dig through archives and get all musty smelling and stuff like that. I like writing about nerding out on history of baseball. Yeah. <laughs> I thought you were going to say they should stop making new David Bowie albums. And I was going to be like, Grant, I have further bad news for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, no. Oh. What, what is it, his ribs? <laughs> oh, no. Oh, we laugh at this. All of us are so sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just want to live in Kirk Reader's shed, basically, and never come out. Yes! It like. yeah. it's, that's exactly right. It is just I, – I wrote about – when I was looking at what I've written over the past decade, Kirk Reader's shed is a great example of – like that's so important to me and my baseball writing career, the 1997 Giants, the early – the late Candlestick era Giants – and I like digging into that stuff. I wrote about the history of Candlestick Park, the McGuire Sosa race, the, the Baltimore Orioles losing 21 games uh, to start the season. I, I love that stuff because I get to go through and read about uh, what the sporting news was was uh, publishing in 1988 in April. And I love that stuff. I don't know why, but that's what I want to become. I want to be John Thorne. <laughs> so it would have been better if the lockout had continued is what yes. you're saying yes and covid oh, no. more more pandemics and lockouts that's what grant says man the pull quotes from this episode are going to be something <laughs> yes uh, out of context effectively wild twitter account is going to go wild with this one dude oh, working during the lockout was awesome <laughs> we should have oh. a lockout every year for like a month just around the holidays. Everyone was in favor of it. Yeah. We are the sowing, reaping tweet right now, though, because the, there's no days off. There's just games and games and double headers and more games and like 14 games in a row. It sucks. Yeah. Guys getting injured. No one was getting injured when no one was playing. That was great. Well, except for <laughs> except for uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. <laughs> True. <laughs> Is he hurt? <laughs> now that one seems relevant to the team that you cover. Yeah, teasing. come on. <laughs> All right. I guess I should go with the extremely obvious pick that everyone knew I would make, which is Shohei Otani. Yeah. Shohei Otani, I mean, continuing our theme here, we're, we're drafting two angels in the first two picks, despite the angels being disappointing and depressing for most of the last decade. But two members of the angels have not been. And Shohei Otani has basically been like the apotheosis of baseball to such an extent that it has probably broken baseball for me and ruined 
every other baseball story. Like in some sense, it is my favorite baseball story of the last decade. And in another sense, it is sort of like the last one that I will ever care about as deeply as I care about that one, or at least that's what I'm worried about because I don't know that I will ever be as excited by a player or as invested in a player as I have been in Shohei Otani. And I don't know if I can ever be as impressed by a player as I am by Shohei Otani. Like, how am I supposed to get hyped for anyone else who is just good at one thing when there's a guy who's one of the best at two things? Like, I am just eternally unimpressed by everyone now. It's like, do they do both? Do they do both as well as Shohei Otani? No. Well, why should I care about them as much as I care about this other guy? So all of my hopes have been riding on him, and he has delivered. And I would guess that, like, Jeff, you said you don't talk a lot about Mike Trout a lot or think about Mike Trout that much as a team employee, but I'm going to guess that Shohei Otani comes up in front offices regardless, even if it's just like marveling at the fact that he exists or talking about whether anyone else like him could exist. And I guess the Rays have had some experiments with two-way players too, so maybe it's been relevant there too. But like, who would not want to talk and think about Shohei Otani? So <laughs> yeah, we've had a handful of two-way players, and I would say that they have gone exactly as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, they both still yeah. have two hands. <laughs> it's also just been a fun story to follow like in our clip show the other day we had the first time Otani was mentioned on an episode which was episode 350 when he was just starting out in Japan that was 2013 and so ever since then he's been on my radar and just gradually getting bigger and bigger as a blip on that radar and it was like you could follow him to the point where it was like oh there's this guy who's trying to be a two-way player well surely he will pick one of those things and specialize and be good at it and then he never did that and then he turned into the best player in MPB and then it was like well will he come over here and can he continue to do this and almost immediately he did but then he got hurt it was like well will we ever see that again and then suddenly gloriously we saw it again and are still seeing it and so I have written a little less about baseball, like less of my writing has been about baseball lately. And there are probably a lot of reasons for that. But I feel like maybe one very real reason for that is that like after Shohei Otani, I was like, all right, well, that was all I needed to see. <laughs> Great sport. Enjoyed it. <laughs> this was wonderful. Don't see how it can be topped by anything else. So, <laughs> As opposed to Star Wars, where apparently you either you can't see enough. There's always more to see. Well, I may reach my limits there. There too, but maybe the Mandalorian is the Shohei Otani of Star Wars. I don't know, but Whoa. anyway, Shohei Otani is special and perfect and wonderful, and I will always treasure the time that we have had with him. There's a Mr. <laughs> Show sketch uh, where they blow up the moon and they interview an astronaut and they say, "Well, you know, what do you think about them blowing up the moon?" And he goes, "I've been to the moon, right? Aid Neg on it, did a push up on it. What else is there to do with it?" And exactly. That's, that's been with baseball. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yep. <laughs> Still like doing this podcast, but we talk a lot about Shohei Otani on this podcast. Yeah, we do. <laughs> that's not a coincidence. <laughs> All he right. Gets, he gets caught stealing a lot, though. Have you noticed this? That's the thing. Yeah. yeah. There's one flaw. Not a great percentage base dealer. So yeah. as long as that's the case, I guess I still have something to watch for. I know a team you can get costume and bases on. <laughs> <laughs> Are you declaring that the Rays will not trade for Shohei Otani too, or you're not going to go there? I'm not going to go there. <laughs> Ooh, so there's a chance. You're saying oh. there's a chance. <laughs> um, okay. I have been given enough time to think of my pick, and I am going to pick pitch framing uh -huh. because I, I, you know, I, I love 
pitch framing. I think the pitch framing, I have the, the unique distinction. I talked about this in the intro to our clip episode of having spent most of Effectively Wild's tenure as a listener and then, you know, only later as a guest and then an eventual co-host. And, you know, in the course of Effectively Wild, in the course of the last 10 years, I feel like pitch framing was a thing where I really, I wanted to dig in much more to understand it. So that's cool. And I can see it. And I feel like I have a good handle on what is good and what is bad and want to understand it better. And it like changed the way that I thought about catching. It changed the way that I thought about how players accrue value and how quickly they can do that when given a lot of chances to do a thing like receive a baseball. So I'm picking pitch framing also because it like, you know, I think it has allowed us as nerds to still keep a foot in the world of like, you know, humans doing human things and us having an appetite for that as opposed to always embracing technology. So pitch framing is mm-hmm. good. You know, Jeff, it really, you know, sucks that, that Zanino is hurt because now you're pitch framing, I imagine it's less good. So Meg has drafted something that's dead in two years. Ben is done with baseball. Grant is only interested in the baseball that's already happened. I was already cheering for the lockout. What are we doing here? Uh, Yeah, I considered taking pitch framing too. I guess we found out about it more than 10 years ago. But within those 10 years, I have been like, doing weekly breakdowns of framing. So I think it counts regardless. And yes, in the way that Shohei Otani has like ruined all subsequent players for me, I think maybe catcher framing has ruined all subsequent baseball discoveries for me Mm. of like edges that we didn't know about or things that we didn't realize were as valuable as they are just because it was such a revelation, obviously not to everyone in the game, people knew about this, but the fact that it could be quantified and that it was apparently worth so much and that Jose Molina was so great at it and Ryan Domit was so bad at it and that not only did we have the numbers, but we could see it and watch it and understand it and break it down and it was very tangible and the technique was cool and everything else that's come along since, like, there's still a lot of things we found out about and a lot of things that we still don't know and things that probably Jeff knows right now that we don't know and maybe the Phillies know them now too. <laughs> but I don't know that any subsequent, like, whenever we hear about, I don't know, I guess like the sweeper or whatever we're calling it is a decent example of that or seam shifted wake or whatever new pitching innovation or discovery or there's this bat data and swing data that's out there. Like, it's all incredibly cool. But I don't know that any of it quite compares to the joy that I experienced and just the shock of finding out how much pitch framing was worth. So I think nothing can quite compare to that in my mind either. I wanted to break the silence, <laughs> but I did. <laughs> I did have thoughts because it, uh, Buster Posey was so good. <laughs> Buster Posey was so good at it. And I'm just, I'm, I'm like processing my relationship with pitch framing right now. And I don't think, uh, because I'm unlike you guys where I'm too stupid to realize this stuff on the, the cutting edge. I'm more... I read something that that you guys write and then go, oh, (laughs) and so that's how pitch framing was for me. And then by the time I really started to get into it, everyone sort of, you know, moved on a little bit or, or I guess more, it's more that all catchers were really good at it. And then by Mm -hmm. the time I really start to appreciate, there's going to be robot umpires. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 
you finally get into it and everyone's like, that was so 2013, Grant. Come on, <laughs> catch up. <laughs> uh, I do appreciate your uh, breaking that silence in that very natural, organic way. <laughs> I had a thought that I have ADHD and it, <laughs> I had lost it. By the way, I meant to ask, has your dog pooped? in the room where you are currently recording because if it has, speak up. Don't wait for the end of the episode this time because N- you've been known to just suffer and smell in silence until the recording is over. That was a one-off. Uh, well, no, it actually happened again on Bags and Brisby. But the the puppy is now a one-year-old and so mm-hmm. still young, still a jerk, uh, less likely to leave a, uh, a hoagie-sized poop behind me. <laughs> Great. All right, Jeff, you have another one? Yeah, okay, so I know this is obvious since I already took Trout and you already took Otani, but I'm going to choose the uh, the third Angel's Point in the last 10 years, Phil Gosselin. I think everyone, <laughs> left and right, everyone in the neighborhood has been talking about Phil Gosselin, <laughs> just a tremendous utility player of, of the year, yeah. man of the people. He's back. They just got him back. I know. You can't quit him. They can't. Yeah. I can't. So what I'm actually going to pick is the Astros cheating, because uh, I think it was great. Uh, and it happened right around the time where I uh, I couldn't uh, talk about it or, or write about it, but it was endlessly fascinating. First of all, just for like the the blunt aspect of it of just like hitting a damn trash can, and like that's that was their whole system is they would just like hit a thing that people could hear on the field, and they would just bash it in the hall. And then you would watch the clips where you can hear it in the background, and you're like. I don't know. People like millions of people watched Astros games during the course of the year. No one was like, "What is that? What is that sound that the microphones are picking up?" I watched the Astros. I pay attention to details almost as much as anyone on this podcast. Like no one, no one in the effectively wild Facebook group is like, "I don't know." There's like a weird banging noise in the background of all of these Astros. It's like there's. Like they're taking out the trash, but all of the time, you know, like there's just like the concession stands are just overflowing. Anyway, but so, so the answer she did, and that's fine. But also I think what is most fascinating to me about it is like when you, you take the dates of like the, the rough time period of, of when they were doing it and you listen to the clips and you're like, all right, it seems pretty straightforward. Like fastball, non-fastball, it's uh it's coming. And they had the system, presumably it worked almost foolproof because a lot of players are participating in it. And I'm not trying to like bother Astros fans with this or anything because I think what's what's most notable about it is if you look at the splits, I, I there's like almost no evidence it made them any better, which right. is like endlessly fascinating for its broader implications about what it means to be a hitter or a pitcher or pitch tipping or whether mm-hmm. it's actually helpful at all to, yeah. <laughs> to know what's coming. And so, like, I, I'm not drafting this in a snarky way, but I like even now, years later, I keep going back to it, being like, that is, I don't think that there's been enough focus inside or outside of the industry on what it means that the Astros had this. I'm not going to say elaborate system, a really stupid <laughs> system that still nobody caught up. But like, we're asking baseball players to do like it was about as advanced as baseball players are going to do, and they're just hitting the trash can. Telling people, telling their own guys what's coming, and they were as good as they have been otherwise. Yeah. That is pretty incredible. And as part of this, I'm also subdrafting the Nationals beating the Astros in the World Series. <laughs> <laughs> I I will say that I when I'm watching baseball and I can see when a runner on second is is trying to do his best to indicate something, and I've noticed a few times where you see the runner on second doing something. And you're thinking he's telling he's telling that batter, okay, it's going to be uh, breaking stuff down and away or breaking stuff away. And you see the the pitcher hang a slider 
and the hitter waved through that slider that was right in the hit me zone because they're prepped for down and away. And it makes me wonder, to your point, how often does that happen? How What kind of advantage is that? So I, I want to read your article on it. Can you write one? <laughs> uh, I think, I mean, I basically just said it. Uh, wow. It didn't help. <laughs> yeah. I think it's too bad that there, you know, a lot about that whole uh, stretch was regrettable, but it, it, it is too bad that it is so fraught for so many people. And I don't mean to say that like fans of other teams shouldn't feel irritated by it or whatever, but it's like, it is objectively funny to your point that that was the mechanism, right? That this, this is a, a front office that like uses machine learning unironically in sentences. And they were trying to do stuff with a, a banging on a trash can. That is objectively <laughs> funny. That is funny. <laughs> but we can't, we can't be amused by it because we're all, you know, Twitter painted by the whole thing. So uh, it's it's really too bad. I, I think that your further subdraft should be fans of teams like the Yankees booing Astros players because it's like, <laughs> you feel real confident that you're not going to get got there. <laughs> I wouldn't, maybe. <laughs> they were hitting a thing in the hall. It's like if their bench coach was really good at burping and they're like, all right, he's going to burp once for a fastball <laughs> and twice for breaking balls. And he's just it's like burping the entire season. That's, that's the most advanced mechanism they came up with. And nobody caught it, and it didn't help, and they were great. It's the whole thing is unbelievable. I'm really disappointed. It's like three amigos when Steve Martin's up on the wall. I was like, "Hey, look up here, look up here!" Like if someone's in the, the dugout doing bird calls. <laughs> Everyone at home was waiting and hoping that you would say "banging scheme," Meg, and I don't think you did. Banging disappointed scheme. everyone. There you go. Banging yeah. scheme. <laughs> but it's a good pick, I think. Also, it. I would also, if we were drafting individual plays, that Howie Kendrick home run would be oh, up there yeah. somewhere for me because that was awesome and also extremely improbable and wonderful. But <laughs> I think, yes, I am also tending to draft things that just changed my understanding of baseball in some way. And that Astros cheating scandal and the subsequent analysis of its impact not being that great or even imperceptible, even though you can't really convince anyone of that fact for the most part, it does seem to be the case. And so that really changed my thinking about cheating in general and just how advantageous and beneficial it actually is. Somewhat similarly, I, I guess, to how having Mike Trout and Shohei Otani and still being a bad baseball team has maybe been a great illustration of how even having great players, great individuals on your team is not enough, which is a bummer for Angels fans and for people who want to see those players in the postseason, but is a pretty useful case, I guess, to point to and say baseball is not like those other sports. <laughs> you can have great players and still be bad. Yep. All right. Grant? I will say before I, I do my my draft pick, uh, I misread what we what we were actually drafting for a little bit. Like when you <laughs> sent that that direct message, I thought I was going to be looking through it and and picking out the articles that I have written over the past decade plus, and I was going to bring up what I wrote about the Astros in uh, 2017 and how proud I was to go to Houston in the ALDS and write. I was really proud of what I wrote. And I thought it was uh, just like a really interesting way of tackling the Astros and the the clubhouse culture. And I was so proud of it. And it's ruined. It is <laughs> ruined. It's maybe my favorite thing I've ever written. And it's ruined. And everyone hates it now. Uh, I was so going to say, Jeff, I probably linked several times to that post you wrote about how the Astros were projected 
to have a far lower strikeout rate that season <laughs> because of the personnel changes they have made. Because <laughs> everyone cited the fact that they had this big historic drop in strikeout rate after the fact as evidence that sign stealing worked. But then you had that post before the fact where it was like, no, they're actually not going to strike out anymore because the entire lineup changed, not knowing anything, obviously, about the banging scheme. So that at least has aged pretty well, I guess, even though I don't know that anyone paid any attention to it really, except me in the aftermath. In that I remember when I wrote that article being like, oh, this is kind of cool. And it, it got like basically zero traffic. So I, I think that everything that you sent it years after the fact was a retroactive. I should ask for a, a raise in hindsight for that. Yeah, it would have gotten way better traffic if you had said that they'd have a lower strike rate because they were cheating. Yeah. <laughs> that would have done big numbers. Yeah. Missed opportunity. All right. What else you got, Grant? All right. I am going to draft, I'm going to draft unwritten rules because uh, that Uh, is one of your beats. That's my, that's my brand. Uh, Unwritten Mm -hmm. rules. I don't do it nearly as much at the athletic because it's a very broad subject. It's more of a general baseball thing. And I have not been on that beat in a while, but I love it's because baseball is silly. And I think that everyone on uh, this podcast agrees that baseball is delightfully silly. Uh, No one taught me more about the silliness of baseball baseball than Jeff Solomon. So uh, Jeff, you taught me to really appreciate silly baseball in a way that I hadn't before. And for that, I thank you. But unwritten rules are like the manifestation of that where you have grown men in pajamas who really care about things like big leads and and trying to hit a home run on 3-0 pitches and stealing when you're up by 10. And it I thought it would get old after writing about it for so long, and it just never did. There was always some new unwritten rule that would squeak in there. And I I just love it because it's the purest distillation of silly baseball. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favorite unwritten rules controversy of the past decade? I oh boy, that is I was not prepared for that one. <laughs> I think I do enjoy a good stealing with a big lead because where is the line? Do you care if the other team if the team that's down big, if they have like the nineteen ninety-five Indians lineup, can they steal or or can you steal against them? Because they have Manny Ramirez and Jim Tomey and you're just going to keep running up the score because they might come back. Is there no line? Should there be a line at five runs, six runs? Is I, I don't know. So I love the idea of stealing when you're up big and the other team going, hey, that's, you know, against the pale, friend. And I, yeah. I love that. So how do you feel about the team that you cover trying to do away with such things? Yeah, in that there was a a nice little uh, dovetail for my (laughs) brand. And I agree with it because it's silly. And if you are up 10 and you steal a base, throw the other team should throw them out. I think that's if if you have a no hitter and you uh, uh, or the other team has a no hitter going and you bunt against that no-hitter, the other team should try and throw the runner out before he reaches first base. I think there are very simple answers to these unwritten rules, and that is uh, do the baseball things that prevent you from being offended. Mm-hmm. The bunting one has got to be the best, right? Like when you're yeah. throwing a no-hitter, you're not allowed to bunt. In, in what inning does it start? Like does it, yeah, start, right. is it the seventh on? Or it's Can not a lead-off hitter bunt? Right. It's, it's an attempt. It's a baseball play. I I don't even know. It's not, you're not showing off. It's the opposite of showing off. You're actually diminishing yourself as as a batter. It's why the sluggers wouldn't butt against the shift because they just want to hit their home runs. They don't want to look like 
little puny weaklings, but then you put a, a, a well, we don't, we're, look, we're running out of time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take one. I hope I'm not stepping on Grant's toes here because this was related to one of his greatest tweets, but I'm going to take the Jose Quintana trade being broken by Wet Butt 23 and Katy Perry's booty hole. <laughs> being emblematic of the larger genre of people breaking baseball news that you would not think of as baseball news breakers. So this is maybe the most famous example, right, of Reddit users Wet Butt 23 and Katy Perry's booty hole. <laughs> breaking the Jose Quintana trade, which led to Grant's tweet, source, Jose Quintana to Cubs for four players. Katy Perry's booty hole had it first via WebPod 23. <laughs> that was in 2017. That actually came, I think, a few years after the peak of teenagers breaking baseball news. Mm -hmm. Remember when that was like all the rage? I mean, maybe maybe that still happens a little bit, but it seems like things have gone back a bit to like Jeff Passan and Ken Rosenthal pretty much break the major news. But for a while there, there was that period where like Chris Cotillo, 16 or 17 years old or whatever he was, was breaking news, right? And Robert Murray was breaking news and probably other people that I'm not thinking of. And it just flummoxed me. Like, how are they doing this? Like, how do they... I've never tried to be a newsbreaker, but Uh -uh. just like the idea that basically someone who is just starting out and is in school would be able to break major baseball news. I I think I wrote about this for Grantland at the time because it was happening so often. And I don't know if this has stopped. Devin Fink, who later wrote for Fangraphs, he broke something. Like the A's signing Billy Butler. He was like 13 (laughs) at the time. (laughs) And when we interviewed him to be a contributor, he's like, yeah, I broke that news one time. And I was like... (laughs) It's like, how old were you? He's like, yeah, I was like 13. I was like, I am a column of salt and dust. (laughs) Yeah. And it was so amazing to me. Like some of these people have since gone on to be part of like more establishment media, right? Like Chris is like a Red Sox beat writer now. And and Robert Murray, he's at Fansided, but he was a Brewers beat writer for The Athletic for a while. But like they just kind of came out of nowhere and it became clear that you could glean these tidbits of information just by like constantly messaging agents or players or whatever and you could somehow get these little morsels of information before the people who had been plugged in for decades and had like hundreds of thousands of Twitter followers. So that was so wild to me. And and I guess, you know, you have like Shams in, in the NBA, right? Who right. is just like, you know, at the top of the profession in terms of news breaking along with Woj. And he kind of built himself up to the point that he's an institution. But when that wave hit baseball and it was like, you don't need to be a baseball writer. You don't need to have a resume. You can literally be a teenager and be in school and somehow beat Rosenthal and Passan and Heyman and Morosi and all of these people to baseball news. That was crazy. <laughs> it's a little like when Ralph Nader got like 12% of the vote that one time. And then you're just like, well, I mean, that's cool, a little pop-up, but we're just going to regress back to the standard two-party yeah. disaster system that we, exactly we typically like that. have. Yes. Yeah. I am prohibited from commenting on that because of the New York Times purchase of the athletics. So I, uh, I cannot confirm nor deny. No, I have two points to, uh, uh, to this draft pick because first, the wet butt 23, uh, in Katy Perry's booty hole. 
uh, <laughs> is funny to me because right now I just sent out a call for questions for my mailbag. I'm doing a mailbag article for The Athletic, and Mr. Sugar Penis is in my mentions <laughs> right now. Oh my right God. now, he, he's like feeding me questions, uh, and it's a little bit that he's got going on right now. So that's uh, that is funny. But also I can reveal now that I am responsible for one scoop in my life. I was the mm. source for a scoop to Niners Nation. Uh, oh. I had I had the scoop that Alex Smith was going to re-sign with the 49ers when it looked like he was gone. There was no way he was going to re-sign. I had the scoop. I fed it to, to, to David, and I said, you read about this. I have it on good authority. Uh, so I can reveal that now. Big news. Wow. Wow. Big newsbreaker over here. I know his brother. Does the <laughs> existence of... Wet butt twenty three suggests that there are twenty two other wet butts. Absolutely, <laughs> you ever been to the self? <laughs> I guess that's a good lead into my uh, my next draft pick because I I'm gonna pick baseball players pooping themselves a little bit. Yes. <laughs> and look, there's the comedy of it, right? Like I, that's probably still my most trafficked piece at Fangraphs when Archie Bradley like admitted to pooping himself a little bit and then I was like I have to investigate when that happened but I also think that it is useful to me when I am watching a game and I wonder for instance like why is a particular reliever who is available but isn't coming in like why isn't the manager using that guy that makes much more sense from a matchup perspective and I think it's just useful for all of us to remember that like we never know everything that's going on with these guys right like sometimes their family is in distress or like they had a you know, they have a sick kid or they pooped themselves a little bit and then they have to like go be a baseball player and worry about the poop showing that they just pooped themselves a little bit. And you people know? blogging so, about it and trying to figure right. out when it was. I mean, he can't be mad about that because he was like, I'm going to volunteer this information to the world. If I had pooped myself a little bit at work, I wouldn't tell anybody about that. I'd be like, you know, that's a that's a Meg only thought. I don't need to share that with the right. I don't need to share that with the world. There probably wouldn't be like broadcast footage of it either. Well, no, unless there's something weird going on in my house that I don't know about. So I, you know, there's the funny and we're here to make our jokes and get our jokes off. But also I just think it's useful to remember that, you know, we don't always know what's going on with these guys and we can have some, you know, we can like grant them grace and empathy uh, when they do poorly. Cause sometimes it's cause they suck. Like to be clear, sometimes they're not as good at baseball as they need to be or once were, but sometimes it's because they poop themselves a little bit. Although I think, funnily enough, Archie Bradley threw a clean inning. So <laughs> if I recall, no runs were scored, even though there had been runs previously. With this draft pick, do you do you also get included Adam Lind farting? Oh, I wrote about that too. Yeah, I did. I, yeah, I, I did write about that. I think we determined that it was probably Chuck. Probably. I think it. I think it was probably chalk. Although I do, I will say that like every time I watch a Mariners game that Robbie Ray starts, I'm like, your your pants are effectively spanks, and I wonder what that's doing to your gut health. <laughs> I worry about Robbie Ray's gut. There are other health things I worry about with Robbie Ray, but he's picking those, so you know. It's the kind of pants you can get bit through. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I just watched the tweet now, and he definitely farted smoke. Yeah, I mean, like it definitely looks like he not looks know. like. I I did an investigation, Grant. I launched. No, that's not, I know I'm, I'm in the article, and I'm yeah. sorry, but it, he is uh, no, he no, I, yeah. I, I, no, I'm just teasing. Right. Spanks, Jeff, you Spanx. got anything? Yeah, 
I guess are we? It's sort of lightning round at this point, but I guess I'm going. You gave us ten years, Sorry. so I'm going back ten years, and I'm choosing that time that John Carlos Stan faced Jamie Moyer and broke the scoreboard. Uh, I think that baseball is generally a pretty unpredictable sport. It seems like it should be a lot more predictable. We all are in the business of pretending like it's more predictable than it is. But I think that that was probably the perfect distillation of exactly what's supposed to... Like, there's not a whole lot of like, yeah, that's what was supposed to happen. But you have this monstrous, like the the, the uh, Raldis Chapman of hitting, right? And this is back before there was Aaron Judge and before there was everybody else hitting the ball 118 miles per hour. It was just Giancarlo Stanton. Right. He's facing Jamie Moyer, full count. Got to throw him a fastball. Jamie Moyer's throwing a fastball. And he hit, didn't just hit a home run. He hit a home run that broke the scoreboard. He broke the ball. <laughs> he hit the ball so hard that the scoreboard broke. The part of the scoreboard that worked was done working after Giancarlo Stanton swung and hit the ball that, that Jamie Moyer threw. And it just felt, in that instant, it just felt like it was baseball nirvana. It was, everything was perfectly clear. And you thought, that's, that is exactly the thing. Mm-hmm. That my soul was telling me was about to happen. The crowd was getting into it. It was like a, a longer at bat, right? Full count. I think the bases were loaded. Even like it was, it was a grand slam. It was a big home run. The people were getting into it, just anticipating. You're getting up for two strikes. The pitch is going to strike him. All of, granted, these are the the home fans who are who are getting up, just being like, oh, I wonder what he's going to do to the shittiest fastball we've ever seen. <laughs> and he hit it as hard as anyone has ever hit a ball, and he broke the electronic scoreboard that was like 450 feet away. Like if he had hit that in Houston, it would have knocked the train off the damn tracks and like put it on the ground. Unbelievable cliff. It's the best. It's the best. I loved the Rajai Davis home run in the World Series. Like that was a great home run, but that was a piece of shit home run. The Giancarlo Stanton, <laughs> unbelievable home run. My favorite home run ever hit. <laughs> it's a good one. Um, that reminded what I was going to do a story on, on Giancarlo Stanton, and I went to watch him take batting practice at Oracle Park. And when he was taking batting practice, he hit a ball so far and went over the bleachers in left field and landed in this little kind of wiffle ball park that they have. It's a model Oracle Park that they have behind the left field bleachers. And it would have hurt children if they had had a game, a little wiffle ball game going on like they do during the actual games. And it just made me realize they put that wiffle ball park there because that is not where baseballs are supposed to go. Nobody's supposed (laughs) to hit baseballs there. It is unrealistic. And he would have really hurt a child. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. There are some batted balls in baseball history that I kind of wish we had stat cast for. Maybe it's better not to so that we can just come up with whatever wild number we want to attach to these things. And we can say that this homer went 570 feet or whatever it is, and we can just extrapolate from the footage. But there are some that I kind of wish we had the numbers because it doesn't look like they disappoint. All right. I have a few more, but Meg, I don't want to make you late for the All-Star game. Before we lose you, do you have any others that you want to mention? Get off your chest here. I want to draft all of the beef boys. Um, They are not new. They are not new to baseball in the last 10 years. I mean, I guess the beef boys of prior eras looked like Babe Ruth and now they look like John Carlos Stanton. So in that respect, they are quite different, but I want to draft all, all the good beef boys uh, because I just enjoy saying beef boys. And also I really enjoy knowing just how hard they're hitting. That's not out of the ball. So Mm -hmm. uh, I will take all of those uh, beef boys. I would like to draft. uh... (laughs) Let's see. What else do I want to draft? Can I just interject real quick? Uh, Give me the beef boys and free my soul. I want to get lost in the rock and roll and drift away. 
Okay, go on. Playing me out. Let's see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I guess, like, I will do an earnest. I will do an earnest one, which is that I would like to draft the like continued uh, diversification of baseball on the front office side. And then in conjunction with that, like, in the last couple of years, I think a, a very sincere try to course correct the trends that are making the game harder for you know, particularly Black Americans to play baseball. So like us trying to take seriously the idea that a lot of different people can contribute something to the game and make that felt in in front offices and on the field, I think is a thing that is pretty cool because it's pretty rocking to see women wear a uniform. Mm -hmm. So there's that. That's sincere. I needed to do one that wasn't pooping. I'm glad you took a sincere, serious one because I I have one along those lines to end on and I was nervous about drafting it after I drafted Wet Butt 23 and (laughs) Katy Perry's Peel (laughs) so as to suggest that it was less important. (laughs) But uh, thank you for breaking the seal on the sincere ones. Yeah, I want to stress again that like I did very little prep. So if I were actually (laughs) ordering this like as a prep list, it Mm -hmm. wouldn't have come differently perhaps. (laughs) Might have been Um, before Archie Bradley, yeah, definitely, definitely before. I mean, but but pooping before the Beef Boys, you know, which is a fun sure. sentence to say. That's a fun. <laughs> 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 um, let's see. Are there any other things that I I wanted? I want to draft the phenomena of trying to come up with new names for slight variations on pitches, um, mm. because I just find it delightful that we are like. You know, we got sweepers and what do the Yankees call it? Swirlies? Whir- that's wrong. Whir- yeah, whirlies. Swirlies is something the Beef Boys do. Right. <laughs> I really enjoy that as a as a phenomenon, an intersection of, you know, of writing and player dev and like us trying to make uh, new something that is old. So that that was on my list uh, that I just came up with. And I don't know. I'm currently enjoying Julio Rodriguez being a Mariner, but that feels like a, 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 that's recency bias affecting my draft. <laughs> Seems pretty good. <laughs> yep. Since you said Ernest a lot, did you know that if you try to pull up any of the old Ernest movies, like Ernest goes to Japan There's or Ernest so goes many to the correctional facility, like they they're not free. They actually charge you three ninety nine <laughs> if you want to watch any of them. Stop You'd it. think of all movies. Do you know all the movies? movies? They would be free. One yeah. time I did like a joke on Twitter where I tried to rank all the Ernest movies and I just went to IMDb and I went one, two, three, four. And people got straight mad at me. They found it and they got <laughs> mad at me for ranking Ernest Goes to Jail too low. <laughs> uh, ranking can be dangerous regardless of the subject. Generate yeah. strong opinions. Okay, yeah. well, Meg, we will let you go be a professional baseball writer and cover baseball. And then when you get home, we will have you back on the podcast, which you co-host to talk about. (laughs) Did I just get demoted or something? (laughs) (laughs) To to talk about everything that you have seen at All-Star Week. We've got to catch up on a non-anniversary themed news episode in which we will be joined by Eric so that he can displace Grant from his sole leaderboard position. Yeah, we have to knock Grant off his pedestal. He's getting too big for his britches, and uh, he's going to let wet butt break more news. <laughs> Grant has never been too big for any britches. Gosh, <laughs> dang it, Jeff. Gazinga. Short joke. Son of a... <laughs>
<laughs> All right. So we have lost Meg. Jeff and Grant are still here, so we can wrap up with anything else that was on our list here. Jeff, do you have any other favorite baseball topics from the past 10 years? Yeah, if we were going to do a lightning round, but like the, the next one on my list was was uh, John Lester not throwing pickoff oh, throws. That was my next <laughs> pick, too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that one, I mean, that was that one was just the, uh, the the psychology of people trying to steal bases against John Lester was yeah. absolutely one of my favorite genres for Me I don't too. Know, whether it was a, a game, a month, three years, I don't have any sense of how long <laughs> it went on or if he ever started throwing pickoff throws again. I remember it, like when MLB tweeted out that John Lester threw a pickoff throw, it got like 8,000 and retweets or whatever because it was such a big story but that was incredible that was absolutely incredible i love that story yeah I it so much that was the best that went on for yeah some period of years because for a while he was trying to fix the pickoff attempt and he had the like bounce one and then he was trying to do a different one and it never really worked that well but i love that story because if i'm remembering right didn't it come to light initially like in a fan graphs comment or something like wasn't there a post about that wild card game and someone noticed that he had not thrown any pickoff attempts in a really long time and that became a talking point it it was like it was pointed out by someone in the public sphere i think just before that game began so we knew about it like possibly before the teams did, or at least it hadn't really been mentioned. It was and... wet butt 22, <laughs> not 23, it was 22. Right. I'm going to have to look up and say at the end of the episode how that first came to light. But we all kind of discovered that fact, and then we were marveling at it and wondering what it meant. And then in that wildcard game, it, it seemed to come into play and people were stealing off him. And then it was like, well, is this a game-breaking, career-ending kind of flaw? Or does it not actually matter at all? Like, either of those were totally in play. <laughs> like, I remember doing a story at Grantland, I guess, where I went to all the companies that simulate baseball games, and I was like, can you simulate this? Like, someone never throwing a pickoff attempt, and they couldn't really because, like, it hadn't <laughs> happened. <laughs> it's, it's like, how do you know what the impact of this is? And, and the estimates range from, like, not a big deal at all to a pretty big deal. And actually, he's, like, not going to be good now. Either of those seem to be on the table. And then the greatest surprise of all of it, which I remember you writing about, Jeff, was just that, like, players would not or could not bring themselves to take advantage of it that much because it was, like, either they couldn't internalize the idea that this guy actually couldn't throw to first and so they just stood there and, and watched him because he was like a lefty <laughs> pitcher and they were just so conditioned to like go back to the bag that they just couldn't shake that habit or maybe they had some sympathy or felt sorry for him or something it was never totally clear but ultimately it was like kind of a nothing burger it was like low stakes yips so it was like we could all obsess over it, but not have to feel bad about it, really, right? Or like yeah. feel like we were picking on him, pointing this out because it wasn't adversely affecting him that much. It was just this <laughs> one weird thing that like I didn't know it was possible not to be able to do while being able to do all of the other things that he could do, like throw pitches. <laughs> so, yes, I think back on that as just an amazing story on multiple levels. It's just like the the Astros thing where you think like, okay, this is like a, a funny story on its own, but you think about the implications of it and you're like, well, this does kind of change the way that I look at baseball. This kind of yeah. changes the way I think about like pitching and, and running the bases. John Lester for his entire career. So Fangraphs has a little metric, right, for like stolen base value for pitcher fielding, whatever. Let's assume that it's accurate. John Lester's entire career 
four runs below average. Uh, so, you know, stolen bases were, were bad for him. And, you know, it, it took a turn for the worse around the time that that became news. Like he was he was minus eight runs over three years between 2014 and 2016. After that, he still threw like another, I don't know, 500 innings, minus one run stolen bases. Like John Lester was fine. He allowed 44 stolen bases in 2015. That's a lot of stolen bases, but also 11 dudes got caught. And that was the worst year that he had. Noah Syndergaard, active pitcher. First career, minus 21 runs, stolen base <laughs> runs. And nobody talks about it. He's terrible at it, but nobody yeah. talks about it. Adam yeah. Adovino, okay, I don't know what the number is, but I'm going to pull up Adam Adovino here because I know he's really bad at it too. So he's a relief pitcher, of course. Adam Adovino for his career, minus 16 runs, stolen bases. Most of that in like the last five or six years, which is phenomenally insane. They're just slower to the plate. John Lester could not throw a ball to first base. Could not. Had the thing like you wouldn't believe, like you genuinely wouldn't believe. We saw it, and we can't believe it now that he can't mm-hmm. put the ball there. But he was throwing strikes left and right the home plate. It doesn't. No part of it makes sense, and the runner still couldn't go. Yeah, it was unbelievable. <laughs> yeah, it was incredible. And I guess he had the advantage of a not allowing a lot of base runners to begin with. B, I guess he had David Ross catching for him at that time, and he would do a lot of back picks, so he got some help there. And C, maybe he was pretty quick to the plate, so that helped a little. But still, like people just could have taken longer leads, and they just didn't for the most part. <laughs> and it just baffled me and then it taught me something so yes thank you to john lester for your one weird yip in an incredible career we got to say on this just for one second so i could pull something up because i remember this i want to quiz both of you and maybe this is more of a grant thing that he would remember because you know padres but you remember chris young before he like ran a baseball team when he was a he was a pitcher right <laughs> mm-hmm. uh tall drink of water that one. do you <laughs> so yeah in 2007 chris young was a was a pitcher for the padres he started 30 games he was, he was really quite good. Uh, he had a, a 3.12 ERA, which corrected for Petco at that time, was equivalent to like an ERA of five and a half. So he was, uh, you, know, uh, you know, he allowed his run. But Chris Young that year allowed 44 stolen bases. And that was out of 44 stolen base attempts. Wow. <laughs> Nobody got caught. And the year before that, he allowed 41 stolen bases and four people got caught. And then you're like, why was he allowing so many stolen bases? And then you look at him. And you're like, it takes him four seconds for his body to unfurl. Like, of course. Yeah, he, like, hands the ball to the catcher, basically, when he pitches. But the entire thing is like a butterfly coming out of a cocoon. It's just every single pitch. Anyway, I loved that ass. Like, the Padres back then, I forget who their catches were. It was Josh Bard or whoever were the other half dozen Josh Bards of the era back then. But, like, none of them could throw. But I'm not sure any of the pitchers gave them a chance. They were just allowing, like, 300 stolen bases a year. That's an exaggeration. But as I think about it, I'm not sure that it is. Mm-hmm. Didn't I draft the word unfurl in one of these effectively <laughs> <did>. wild? And <laughs> yeah. you just used it in context. That's outstanding. <laughs> yeah. Such a great word. Unfurl. Chris Young unfurls to the plate. Yep. Strike. Josh Bard, 2007, allowed 121 stolen paces. <laughs> 10 <laughs> were caught. Wow. Wow. Huh. You know what it was? It wasn't a Fangraphs comment. It was John Rogley, who is maybe best known for his tracking of Tommy John surgeries. He tweeted, I think it was the morning of the day of the 2014 AL wildcard game. He tweeted, if I'm the Royals, the first batter to reach first base is taking a huge lead. John Lester has not attempted a pickoff in 2014. Not once. (laughs) (laughs) And I think everyone was like, wait, what? Like, I don't think anyone (laughs) would notice that. I would kill to know if that was like 
in the Royals advanced scouting report for that game? I, I've got to think it was. I've got to think that they knew about that. But as far as I recall, it, it had not really circulated publicly at that point until let's, it just showed up on pretend. Twitter. <laughs> so I, I know there's a story that the Royals had it, you know, advanced camp. There's a lot of talk right. uh, written about the Royals advanced camp. Yes. And, you know, who knows? Let, but let's pretend that the Royals didn't have that before. You're in your pregame meetings, right? You got the one game wildcard playoff later that day. You do all your, your pregame meeting, talk to the coaches, you have your strategy. And then meetings wrapping up five minutes ago. And someone's like, hey, guys, you seen this tweet? <laughs> and, uh, and you're like, dude, the game starts in two hours. We don't have time to, like, confirm this on video. Do you act on it? <laughs> just based on the tweet just based like, on the tweet it's got 70 retweets uh, <laughs> <laughs> this baby gets to 100 we gotta we gotta act on it 71 72 okay it's all Gerard Dyson in his burner accounts <laughs> I will say that with uh, with Lester and the yips I empathize because I have the yips I coach softball and I can do just about everything but throw a, a ball underhanded. I have such yips when I'm doing uh, batting practice and I'm throwing wiffle balls. I keep hitting nine-year-olds in the batting room <laughs> with wiffle balls. It, it's I can do ladder golf. I can do horseshoes. I can bowl. I can do underhanded motions. But when it comes to throwing a ball underhanded, I have serious Lester-like yips and I cannot shake them no matter how hard I practice. Uh, I keep hitting nine-year-olds in the head with wiffle balls. <laughs> just have to throw that out there. I'm just going to break the set. No, <laughs> I think we lost Ben. <laughs> that was wildly awkward. Have you? I don't know. Have you done any of that like weird Navy SEAL training to to shake the yips? Gone to one of those camps? I should. I would like to. It's uh, this latest round. I. <laughs> His mic cord <laughs> fell out. Oh, no. Um, this latest, uh, my daughter's playing in a summer league. And so it's all these girls who don't know me. And the, the I'm not the coach this time. And, and the coach says, hey, can you help out? And I go out to, to throw batting practice. And they just think I'm the biggest weirdo and the biggest goofball because I cannot throw a strike underhand. It's so embarrassing. It's just like you got a first day in there. You got to take out the biggest guy in the joint. <laughs> And you're showing up, these girls don't know, and you're just like, hit you in the head, hit you in the head. You respect me as you <laughs> It's my plate. It's my plate. Uh, so where do you think Ben's mic cord fell out to? Well, that's what I'm wondering. Yes, it seems like it should be a pretty simple remedy. I'm back. My mic cord is reattached now. I had so many questions. I was there laughing just out of frame, <laughs> laughing too. <laughs> but uh, If you um, think the first silence was awkward, <laughs> oh boy, this silence was a doozy. What I wanted to ask was whether the yips only applies when you're like lobbing the ball underhanded or can you throw it fast underhanded or is it both? You know, if I do a, a full softball pitch windup, I can generally get it. I'm not throwing strikes just because I'm not good at softball pitching in general. Sure, that's separate from yips. Just being bad at something is different. Yeah, but I can <laughs> generally like get it where I think I'm trying to get it to. So it, it is mostly lobbing, and I I've, right. 
Well, that's yeah. what they say about the yips, right? If you have time to think about it, if it's a, a routine automatic action, then you don't get the yips. But if you have time mm -hmm. to throw over to first and think about throwing over to first or <laughs> not throwing over to first if you're John Lester, then that's where those issues crop up. And it's only throwing underhand wiffle balls to nine-year-old girls. It's, like, <laughs> it's so I wonder specific. if like we all – maybe – we all have the yips and we just haven't discovered where yet because that's right. a pretty niche yip. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You just have to try enough things to figure out what your yip is. <laughs> you ever reduce a vinaigrette? It's not just wiffle balls. It's also actual softball. So just any sort okay. of round spherical object in general. Mm -hmm. Okay. Any other favorite baseball stories on your list, Grant? I will just – I know that I've got uh, people expecting some Giants content. So I will just say <laughs> Travis Ishikawa, <laughs> the legend of Travis Ishikawa. Uh, I love this story so much because it tickles the, the part of my brain where I think about random Giants from the past and that's just how I'm built. I'm just likely to be on a bus somewhere and go, Mike Benjamin. You know, like that is just how my brain works. And so for Travis Ishikawa to be – uh, a draft pick and he was a draft pick that was very unlike the Giants where they gave him a lot of money in those days for especially for a Giants draft pick to stay away from Oregon State they actually did the thing that other rich teams do which was buy a kid out of his college commitment they never did that and so they did it here I got to follow him as a prospect got to follow him as maybe this is the solution at first base oh I guess not and then he drifted away bye bye that's the last time we'll think about him and in 10 years I'm going to be able to go Travis Ishikawa and it's going to be like a, a self-sustaining punchline. And then he came back. And why did he come back? To play left field, which he didn't do. And even if he had, why was that your option? You had a long time to think about this. Jared Parker was a decent outfielder defensively and he could hit a ball out of the ballpark. Why not just play him? There were a hundred different ways for Travis Ishikawa to never happen. And it just, <laughs> the dominoes just went clink. And now it's one of the greatest home runs in Major League history. And I don't think that's hyperbolic. So Travis Ishikawa, that's my guy. <laughs> yep. It's a good one. I know that we we have a bias toward taking weird off-the-wall ones or more obscure hipster picks here. But if I were just taking basic baseball things that happened over the past 10 years. I mean, like, I don't think uh, any of us is about to draft like Cubs winning the World Series or something, but like, that'd probably be like at the top of a lot of people's boards. But if not that, I'd probably take maybe those mid-decade Royals who were just a ton of fun so and fun. surpassed everyone's expectations. Like probably the most fun I've had just watching a baseball team that I was not rooting for, but just marveling at the way that they did it and wondering if they could keep doing it. And really not even pandering to whatever portion of your Giants audience you have brought to this podcast. But last year's Giants were incredibly fun and that division race was also incredibly fun. That yeah. was just I mean, that might be recency bias that I didn't bring that up, like reverse recency bias. But that's as much fun as I've ever had covering a team. It just yeah. every day was something fun, something new. There's so many angles, so much to write about. So I do. That was just that was a blast. Yeah. What happened at the end of it? <laughs> yeah, I did uh, break my arm, and when <laughs> when well, I broke my elbow, and then but the thing I'm not sure if I tweeted this out. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. But when they called the Wilmer Flores, and when Gabe Morales said that Wilmer Flores swung, 
I pushed away from the press box desk with my broken elbow and hurt it again. Like it hurt. Uh, so, so Wilmer, Wilmer Flores is out and I'm going, ah, so I can break that as well. Oh, wet butt 23 actually broke that at the time. <laughs> so the last ones on my board here, I'll take Rich Hill, just Rich Hill in general, but specifically Rich Hill's resurgence in 2015, which was what really got me fascinated in player development and the changes in player development that made me want to write about that. Like of all the stories of someone revitalizing their career and your Justin Turner's and your J.D. Martinez's, Rich Hill's was the most wondrous of all just for him to kind of come out of the minors out of indie ball in 2015 at the end of the season at 35 years old and be like the best pitcher in baseball for four starts and then have that actually be real and have it be because there was a epiphany about his curveball and trackman discovered how important it was and Brian Bannister came along and was like throw this pitch more and that whole saga and that whole story and just the general idea that like anyone can be better than we thought they were even if they've been around for a really long time and they've been bouncing between the minors and the majors and they're 35 and they're rich hill you can be amazing all of a sudden so that i think just opened my eyes maybe to the possibilities of like what you can achieve with a new pitch or a new pitch mix or all of the other witchcraft that like the Rays do or the Dodgers do or the Giants do or any Yankees, all of these teams that have managed to quote unquote fix players or improve players. Like for me, the fascination with that stuff started with Rich Hill end of 2015. Yeah, that's like the real demarcation line where you had before that sabermetrics in, in baseball analysis was, well, this guy did this for five years, so we can extrapolate that trend. And this right. is what we think a six year is going to be. And that was the first time that I remember a baseball team going, that thing that that player did for two weeks. Yeah, I believe in that. We're going to, we're going to commit mm-hmm. resources to that. And that was such a mind blower. And that's just, that's how baseball works now. It's just Drew Pomerantz, I get his, his ERA is in the, the fives, but we're going to give up a, a prospect for him because uh, we think he's going to be good. And then you're right. He's great. He's great in relief for the Brewers. So yeah. Yeah. I don't know what my job is, but it's not to like make our projection system that we have internally. But I like to think like and along these these same lines, I don't know if it was Rich Hill or J.D. Martinez or, or really any like the swing change guys that like, but just the entire era of these guys that persists to this day, of course, and, and they all get written about. But it it has created for me the spark of just like relentless optimism around every single player. <laughs> Yeah, that plays professional <laughs> baseball to the extent that it's becoming like kind of a problem because <laughs> I know like I have I struggle to like rank between players because I our projection system will say like oh this guy's this and this guy's this and I like to think oh but this guy could be this but this guy could be double this all he has to do is this one thing and then this guy just has to back up and then he could do that thing and Keon Rockstar yeah a little, a little it's a not little too late <laughs> we <laughs> yeah we have Keon Broxton. his name is Brett Phillips and he plays center field sometimes <laughs> uh, yeah numbers, it's great yeah, yeah. It, it's still it continues it's a lot of fun because being being on the team side and like having a foot in, I guess, our player development and just being like, I don't know, what if we tried this? It's just so much more fun than being yeah. like, well, this guy's 3X and this guy's 2X. So why wouldn't you take 3X? Of course you take 3X, uh, which I think that that had its place. And you still need to be granted because most adjustments don't stick and make profound changes. But like the fact that people can get like four times as good 
in one off season or even just like manipulating a grip in the middle mm-hmm. of the year. That's crazy. And like yeah. any projection system is not going to be able to see that. So it's a lot of yeah. fun. I guess people still talk about ceilings, the concept of ceilings, right? But there's more of an understanding that you can shatter the ceiling (laughs) in pretty unpredictable ways. So, and yeah, as you're saying, like it's probably misplaced optimism in a lot of cases because not everyone can do that. Like Rich Hill still had that incredible curveball. Maybe he didn't throw it enough. Maybe people didn't realize how good it was, but he could still throw it and he could still spin it that way. And not everyone can learn to do that. So if you don't have one of those like elite capabilities, then maybe that's not enough. But more often than not, it seems like there's some way to teach someone something where you can at least like dream about it. So (laughs) I I can tell you where this comes. So, you know, everything is conducted on Slack. I'm not sure I actually work with any people. It's just software. But we have a Slack (laughs) channel where our our software executives like we we have a waivers channel, right? We're like everyone who ends up on waivers. We're like, okay, here's the player. Should we like claim him or not? What do we think about this player? Like pretty low stakes. Yeah. And yet Williams Astadio passed through waivers somehow. Where were you that day? <laughs> I was around. Uh, but you see it. You, you see every player on waivers. And it's the hardest almost every single time someone's on waivers. I, my first thought is, we should claim him. You got to claim him. You got to put him on the roster. You got to claim him. And it's so, I mean, every so often there's a guy you're just like, mm, we shouldn't claim him. But like a lot of the time you're just like, we could do something. <laughs> you can do something with this guy. Or like last year's Giants, uh, because they were befuddling everyone, including like <laughs> including the Giants, but certainly like <laughs> our, our numbers, they, the Giants way overachieved, right? But to an extent mm-hmm. where you're like, the Giants have figured something out. And every yeah. single time the Giants <laughs> like claimed a hitter or traded for a hitter, some like John Nagowski or just some anyone, <laughs> I would talk, there was a coworker of mine and we would exchange DMs being like, what do they see? And last year they did. Everyone that yeah. stepped up had like a one fifteen OPS plus. It was bananas. And like I don't I don't know how much that is true, but you just see it. And just like when people are like, oh, the Rays got a pitcher, the Dodgers got a pitcher. Like no, it was it was the Giants, and it was it was hitting. It's just like yep, they're gonna claim everyone, and they're gonna make them something. Yep. So it's like we can rebuild him. We can do something. Yeah. All right. What else did I have? Anything else on my board? I guess the ball. Not so much now the ball. I feel like the ball has kind of become tedious just because we've been talking about the ball's changes for so long. But I did enjoy the early ball discourse, like (laughs) late 2015. I think I remember you blogging about it, Jeff, and maybe like early 2016. I was writing about it with Rob Arthur, like back when no one was convinced that it was the ball that had caused that sudden home run rate spike. And people were speculating about all these different causes. And Rob Manfred was suggesting all of these (laughs) things that made zero sense about like, oh, the batting orders are different now or whatever his idea was. And none of those seemed sufficient to explain what was happening and so for a little while there it was like you could be a sleuth and you could be like oh well it can't be this and it can't be that and process of elimination it's got to be the ball and then after a while we figured out that it definitely was the ball indeed and then there were studies and people started acknowledging that it was the ball and then the ball just kept changing wildly and unpredictably by the year by the month and that got a little less fun and more frustrating and why Can't they just figure this out already? But for a while there, it was kind of fun to feel like it was this baseball mystery and no one knew what was going on. And so we were just trying to get to the bottom of it. But Related uh, to that, I liked last year the the sticky stuff crackdown, which was like the huge news. And then, I don't know, a month later, it's like, huh. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Who cares? Everyone's the same. Yep. For the most part, yeah. 
How how much uh, ball investigation goes on in front offices? Would you say? Oh, plenty. I mean, we we have our our people who who do it, but you know the mm-hmm. the analysis is a little more. It's like hard coded at this point, you know, to be like, well, what's the drag now? Press right. the button, and then you have it in fifteen seconds. But yeah, then, you know, every so often you'll have a guy who'll be like, well, spins down or whatever, and then you're just like, well, yeah, stuff looks the same, so who cares? So, yeah. uh, ultimately, who cares? Yeah. yeah. Back in our day, we had to calculate things manually and figure it out every year. Now it's just a subroutine that runs every day. There's no no wonder, no mystery, no joy in it anymore. But yeah, <laughs> the ball for a while there. And did I have anything else? I thought about maybe taking the Drake LaRoche saga. <laughs> <laughs> Grant, you know, I had to write so many little articles about that. I actually Googled, uh, you know, my own stories and I wrote something. And whenever, whatever year that was, that was the least essential stories of that year. And number one was Drake LaRoche. Just like, oh, yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I feel like we're going to wake up in like eight years and we're, oh, Drake LaRoche is like a state rep somewhere. He's just like in, <laughs> in local Congress. Well, he'll probably just be like the number one pick one of these years. I don't know how old Drake LaRoche is, but it seems like every draft pick is someone's son at this point. But yeah, that story, obviously it's meaningless, but <laughs> with time, I think it is only added to the luster of how nonsensical it was and Chris Sale continuing to be kind of weird and do things <laughs> that other players wouldn't do from time to time. And there have been like five-year retrospectives on the Drake LaRoche saga, but just the idea that like of all the clubhouse controversies, one could be caused by whether one guy's kid was allowed in there or not, or how that news was broken. I mean, I guess the the Chris Sale like jersey cutting thing kind of goes hand in hand with with that story (laughs) the throwback chris sale jersey cutting up the jersey story that's up there in the pantheon with me too kind of connected in my mind so in uh whatever year it was i guess it was 29 when i interviewed with the phillies before i took a job with race and i remember as part of that interview i went down in some room you know you're just in the bowels of the ballpark for any of these interviews and and this i think this would have been like early january so this no season had taken place for for quite a while (laughs) Certainly not in Philadelphia, but we were down in in the room and it was just like a a regular room, like adjacent to the clubhouse. And on the floor of the, it was a large room. And on the floor, in one corner, there was a bat. And uh, on the other side of the room, there was a a hole where a TV used to be. And uh, it wasn't, yeah, Chris Sale isn't the only one. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that reminds me of A.J. Hinch breaking the monitors as the best part of the Astros sign-stealing scandal and still the most inexplicable part of that whole story to me. (laughs) All right. I just saw that either while we were recording or shortly before the Rays claimed Angel Perdomo from the Brewers. So now I'm squinting at that news and thinking, what did they see? What did you see? I told you to do that before you started recording. (laughs) And my last one in the sincere, semi-serious vein is, I guess, kind of similar to Grant's greater appreciation for baseball history, is just the greater appreciation of the Negro Leagues in the past few years. And, And there have been a lot of things that both on this podcast and in baseball media 
in general in sports media and the world, I guess, that we have all become more conscious of and place more of an emphasis on. But the Negro Leagues was one where, like a lot of people, I grew up reading about baseball history and just didn't read a lot about Negro Leagues history. And so I knew the Satchel Pages and the Josh Gibsons, but not much more beyond that. And so the fact that in the span of uh, a couple of years here, we've gone from that where people didn't learn about these things regularly for the most part, or you only knew the biggest names, but not some of the other great players who don't get mentioned as much. And now we have those stats on baseball reference and elsewhere, and they've finally belatedly been officially recognized. And the fact that the podcast played some small part in that effort because there was a podcast emailer who wrote in to be like, why does MLB not classify the Negro Leagues as major leagues again? And then I asked about that, and that led to a whole chain of events where people had already been bringing that up, but it kind of came to the fore at that time, and I was able to do some writing and reporting on it, which I was happy to play some small part in that effort, so that was kind of cool. So there's still so much I don't know and feel like I'm just barely starting to catch up with all of those great players and teams that I just didn't learn about as I was coming of age as a baseball fan, but I'm hoping that that renewed emphasis will mean that the next generation of fans that's coming up actually will know those names more so than they used to and just get to recognize how good those players were. So that's my my serious pick. It uh, has improved the baseball reference homepage where they have the the 12 headshots at the top left. Where yeah. You get to look and go, oh, who's that? Who's, oh, Dave Magan. And oh, well, now you have <laughs> Negro Leagues players and it's, well, I'm going to click on it and learn something. And it mm-hmm. wasn't always like that where you would just click and like, you're not, I know enough about Dave Magan that I'm not going to learn that much from clicking on his headshot. But uh, uh, let's see who is today is uh, Willie Cornelius. No idea. Mm-hmm. So I get to click and, and learn a little bit and it's fantastic. Yeah. yeah. All right. And I guess I'll also take just like young players being better than they ever were before, which is something that I think I've written about from time to time over the years. This is like almost too obvious or earnest. This is like on on one of our drafting things we like about baseball episodes when Jeff took like the green of the grass or something. No, you took like optimism in spring training and and Sam (laughs) made fun of you and was like, are you going to draft the green of the grass and the crack of the bat next? But (laughs) the idea that like we have this generation of players, I, I guess like, you know, it's hard to top like Trout and Harper coming up in Machado 10 years ago, but then to get like the Tatises and Acunas and Julio and Soto and Vlad Jr. and just like all this great generation of young players who are like better than young players have ever been before and have been so much fun to watch. Like it does feel like just, you know, regardless of baseball's popularity in general or its place in the culture, like the players are getting better and more entertaining than ever, even if the game they are playing is not always thanks Jeff and the Rays for breaking baseball, making baseball unwatchable. I think it's great. <laughs> <laughs> it's to the point where it, uh, Marco Luciano is 20 years old and he is in high A and he's doing he's doing well enough in high A, but I'm like, oh, is there something wrong with him? Like, oh, why isn't he? Oh, gosh, he's, he's not in double A yet. He's certainly not in triple A and he's not in the majors. What in the world? So. Yeah, what's <laughs> taking so long? All right. Well, that's all I got, I guess. So unless anyone else has any stragglers here, we can uh, let Jeff get back to just uh, right, salivating I, over players on the waiver wire. Gotta claim someone. 
Uh, <laughs> two more, two more that I have on my list. One of them is just that two of the best players of the past ten years have been Aaron Judge and Mike Trout, and two of the other best have been Mookie Betts and Jose Altuve. I think that's great. <laughs> yeah, that's and, a great one. Yeah. Uh, and I know you said that we should only cover ten years, but uh, I'm going to cover twelve, and this might be the last <laughs> opportunity to get to draft this. But uh, just on that off chance, uh, I'll take the Yankees haven't won the World Series since 2009. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good one, not just from the perspective of a raisin boy, but from the perspective of. Uh, <laughs> red-blooded american baseball fan i think that's exactly what we want the red sox winning the world series ruined their thing the cubs winning the world series ruined their thing the dodgers winning the world series which i know people have a thing about but trust me it counted uh that kind of ruined their thing so the yankees haven't won for a while i think that's super <laughs> that is pretty funny that is pretty funny. i will say as an unbiased observer it's still pretty funny mm-hmm. all right well we always love having you back, Jeff. We miss you. We hope that the trade deadline and everything else goes well and that your players are healthier from now till the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you can uh, find Jeff on Twitter, I guess. He still tweets okay, occasionally. Okay. Yeah, but you don't you, have to. You still tweet more often than your typical front office employee, which is not at all, or you like <laughs> just retweet job listings or something. Occasionally, you will still have uh, an amusing tweet. So that's something you're. I can't even repost something and be like, come work with me for the race because I'm in Oregon. Like, you go work with somebody else. <laughs> your value over replacement front office member tweeter is, is pretty high. And uh, Grant still does actual tweets, and a lot of them are, are still pretty funny, actually. <laughs> <laughs> and. He writes about the Giants at The Athletic. He also podcasts about the Giants and other things with a fellow Effectively Wild favorite, Andy McCullough, Mark Rigg. You can find them on The Roundtable, which is part of The Athletic baseball show. So uh, you can still get your grant content. So that at least is still out there. But we're always happy to have you on. And we're glad that you could join us during this week. And now you can bask in being the most frequent Effectively Wild guest for at least a few hours until Hagen joins you at the top of the list. I'm going to draft a couple of tamales for my belly. <laughs> okay. For lunch. <laughs> I hope nobody's drafting behind you in an hour and a half. <laughs> no, but thank you for having me on, and uh, I will come back and crush here. <laughs> All right. Another topic that we have learned to pay more attention to in the past decade, minor league pay and minor league living conditions, much to Rob Manfred's dismay. But that's a topic for previous and future podcasts. Right now, I have to leave you with today's past blast. So this is episode 1878, and therefore today's past blast comes from 1878 and also from Richard Hirschberger, historian, saber researcher, author of Strike Four, The Evolution of Baseball, who writes, I'm using a different format here. I've been quoting a contemporary text while providing context. This one doesn't lend itself to that, so it's a discussion in a couple of box scores. And Richard's topic is the Heinz Triple Play, May 8th, 1878, Boston at Providence. Don't laugh, he says, in eight years in the National League, Providence won the pennant twice. So on that May 8th tilt in the eighth inning, Boston had two men on base with no outs, Jack Manning on third, and Ezra Sutton at second. Jack Burdock was batting. He hit a soft line drive, what would later be called a Texas leaguer, over the shortstop's head. The runners took off. Paul Hines, playing shallow center field, made a shoestring catch for the first out. He followed his momentum and ran to third base. By this time, Manning and Sutton were both at home. Hines tagged third base, putting Manning out, and threw the ball to Charlie Sweezy, the second baseman who tagged second. Was this baseball's first unassisted triple play? It clearly was a triple play, 
but the question is whether Hines tagging third base put out both Manning, the runner from third, and Sutton, the runner from second, or was it Sweezy's tag of second base that put out Sutton? Under the modern rules, this clearly would not be unassisted. Rule 5.09c reads, Any runner shall be called out on appeal when, after a fly ball is caught, he fails to retouch his original base before he or his original base is tagged. Third was not Sutton's original base, so tagging it would not put him out. But the rules of 1878 were not so precise. They could be interpreted either way. I have attached the box score, Richard writes, and I will also link to it on the show page, from the next day's Providence Journal and Boston Post. The journal credits Hines with four outs and one assist, and Sweezy with one out. The Post credits Hines with five outs and zero assists, and Sweezy with zero outs. The question, was this unassisted under the rules of 1878, is unanswerable. What interests me as a historian is not so much the question of rules interpretation, but how the story almost immediately began morphing. Humans are storytellers. The first unassisted triple play makes for a good story, but an abstruse question of rules interpretation does not. When a decade later the story was relitigated, Sutton, the runner from second, remembered it as he was between second and third when Hines tagged third, which would clearly give Sweezy at second the final out. Even disregarding the baseball plausibility of Sutton lingering between the bases for so long on a slow-developing play, the contemporary accounts all either place him at home or don't go into this level of detail. Both sides of the debate eagerly abandoned the questions of rules interpretation and recast the question as Sutton's location. This is how the question usually is formulated to this day. And so, Richard concludes, contemporary accounts often are unreliable, while later recollections are even worse. Was that the game ball used to put out Merkel? Did Ruth call his shot? Heck if I know. I am waiting to review the video. Until then, I tend to favor the version that isn't as good a story. A wise stance by Richard, and I also tend to favor the account that is closest to when the event actually occurred, although that is not foolproof either. As Galadriel said, some things that should not have been forgotten were lost. History became legend. Legend became myth. But baseball hasn't passed out of all knowledge. Not yet, at least. All right, thanks to everyone who wrote in in response to the first anniversary episode. Glad people seem to enjoy that. This is the second of what we hope will be three, so stay tuned for one more anniversary celebration later this week. But before then, Meg and I will speak to Eric Longenhagen about this week's events. The draft, the futures game, the derby, the all-star game, the Soto trade rumors. Keep an eye and an ear out for that in the next day or so. But as mentioned, we are aiming to give you a bonus episode this week. Because hey, you only turn 10 once. In the meantime, you can support Effectively Wild on Patreon by going to patreon.com slash effectivelywild. The following five listeners have already signed up, pledged some monthly or yearly amount to help keep the podcast going, get themselves access to some perks, and help us stay ad-free. Brendan Pulsford, Scott Kramer, William123, Brian Hamilton, and Sarah Cumbie. Thanks to all of you. Our Patreon supporters get access to the Effectively Wild Discord group, monthly bonus episodes, discounts on t-shirts, including our brand new 10th anniversary t-shirt linked on the show page, featuring many of the player characters who have starred in some of our email episodes, plus playoff live streams and more. You can contact me and Meg via email at podcast.fangraphs.com or by messaging us through the Patreon site if you are a supporter. You can find our Facebook group at facebook.com slash group slash Effectively Wild. You can rate, review, and subscribe to Effectively Wild on iTunes and Spotify and other podcast platforms. You can follow Effectively Wild on Twitter at EWPod. You can find the Effectively Wild subreddit at r slash Effectively Wild. Thanks to Dylan Higgins for his editing and production assistance. And we will be back with another episode soon. Talk to you then. Old friend, pitching pennies in the park. 
Playing croquet till it's dark, old friend Oh, friends, swapping lives of lives and loves, pitching popcorn to the doves, oh, 